0: Reaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome. Welcome to another episode this week of Reform This at theblaze.com/podcast find me on Twitter at ReformThisRadio. It is always an honor to be with you. This is the program where once a week, you and I have a conversation about the things that few people actually want to address deeply, forthrightly, and honestly, and especially when it comes to American Muslims. I love my faith, but I also am in love with my country. And I think that if my faith does not go through reform, through modernization, and, in, and a marginalization if not complete defeat of political Islam, we're not only doomed to be in a cycle of constant war against radical Islamist entities, but I think Muslims will not be able to live a coherent synergy between their faith identity and their national identity because we haven't gone through a rejection of theocracy, and that's why I believe we need reform. Every week I find those areas that breach the divide between the land of Islamists and the land of the West, of modernity. And this week is no different. I want to talk to you about Baghdadi, unroofed, came out of his shell, came out of his cave, to release another video. What is that all about? We'll talk about the Muslim Brotherhood designation as a foreign terrorist organization. It should have happened yesterday, but thank God. President Trump is talking about it. We will talk about the progress made of a burkini. He burkini in Sports Illustrated. Oh, such progress. So we've solved the problem. We have liberated women. Bizarre. And last, it's time. Again I will call for an internet free speech bill of rights. Facebook has now continued to de many. Some are called for, most are likely uncalled for, and we'll talk about that. First, this video, Abu Baghdadi, Baghdadi. Sheikh Baghdadi, the caliph, has come out of his shell. Well, he's taken a lot of hits in his branding, so much so that a month ago, Al-Qaeda, in the Arab Peninsula, released a video called The One Ummah, Ummah Wahida. And I talked to you about that in which I said that Ummah concept, that word means one state, the state. It also means faith community. And one of the core processes of reform will be American Muslims finally beginning to reject the interpretation of Ummah as nation state and government and to say it only applies to our faith community. Then the Islamists, when they use it, you should know the areas that need reform. And as Baghdadi was missing, as his ISIS was defeated and his brand was disappearing, Al-Qaeda wanted to resurrect and strengthen its brand, so put out the magazine One Ummah. Put on top of that the fact that he suffered significant losses, ISIS suffered significant losses, and Syria not only land losses, but human losses, jihadist losses, it lost recruiting tools. So he needs more recruits, He's still rife with finances, and you can do your research to see where the finances are coming from. Much of it from slave sales, uh, uh, oil sales, some of it uh, through third-hand terror sponsors across the planet. Jihadist sponsors, some states and others not. And last is continuing the concept of caliph. Caliphate is not a landmass only. It's mostly a consciousness. And and the weaker they are, the more they have this righteous cause. Uh, so to think that militarily, yes, militarily it is important to defeat them. Just as we defeated Al-Qaeda with President Bush, and now we defeated ISIS, as President Trump allowed the Secretary of Defense, Secretary Mattis, to unleash and finalize the defeat in Syria of ISIS. A defeat that Assad made sure didn't ever happen, despite what his propagandists want you to believe. A defeat that Putin didn't really want to happen, and neither did Iran. Iran to this day is trying to deny they had much to do with Al-Qaeda, when in fact we know they did, by funding inspiration and especially by opportunity. So the radical Islamist Hamas works with Hezbollah, even though they may fight one another at times, and they feed off one another. But Baghdadi wanted to reclaim his caliphate, caliphate of the consciousness, so he shifted focus away from the lands of the Arab awakening, where they saw an opportunity of 2011. Now they've shifted that focus out into places like the Congo. We see them setting up shop into back into their homeland, which is Saudi Arabia, We saw them attempt an attack on Easter Sunday that was foiled by the Saudis, the Saudi government. The attack a month ago in Kabul, Afghanistan, was also ISIS, and now recently in Sri Lanka. So, you can't help but say, well, here comes this video, and that video he makes it clear he knows current events. He talks about that they will continue to feed, to continue to act, and takes claim that they are avenging the loss in Baghus, one of the last bastions in which they lived and existed in land in Syria. So he was honoring those jihadists, as he says in his video. He then named them across from the countries of origin. He talked about the Iraqi, the Ameriki, the Australian, the Beljimi. These are terrorists that he had named as his lieutenants. Each named by the country they came from. And I think that imagery of heroes that he calls jihadists that come from these countries shows a guy who can create a caliphate of the consciousness and reclaim his brand even though he has no land. He then demonstrated a knowledge of the current events. Talked about Sudan and Algeria, whose leaders had fallen, but then he was disappointed in what was coming next already, even though not much has happened. He's basically telling them that they appear to be exchanging one tyrant for another, and that the revolutions are failed. Again, an Islamist radical who's seeing a military dictator of another flavor take over. He talks about Netanyahu's election. Congratulates the Sri Lankans terror cell for its completion of their mission. Talks about foreign infiltration into Mali and Afghanistan claiming victory in Afghanistan. Now, it'll be interesting to see what kind of operations they have with the Taliban that really seems to be taking over Afghanistan. But Ladies and gentlemen, my point here is, if anything, this video shows you, A, Russia reports of the death of Baghdadi and others were wrong. Where is this guy? They say he's in a country bordering Syria or Iraq. Uh, Let me guess. Starts with a T and ends with a Y. (laughs) Probably Turkey, huh? Or Iran. Would not be a surprise if this guy was holed up in Iran, no different than bin Laden was holed up in Pakistan. And we'll see. But the war against global jihad is as strong as it ever has been. The jihadists continue to have their ideas, and they will continue to inspire one another until we break the cycle of the three eyes: i's. Identity, ishtihad, and inspiration. His jihadists still are not identifying with their countries that they live in because there is no movement among the Muslim reform that is potent enough to get into the consciousness of immigrants and refugees, to create a movement of love for their country's legal systems, its secular liberal democracy, and is leaving them susceptible to the virus of political Islam and its separatism. Second, the ishtihad. Is there real ishtihad happening? Some, but not enough to begin to effectuate a conversion Away from political Islam, and it's the division of the world into the land of Islam, land of jihad, land of war, dar al-Islam, dar al-harb. We have to end all those dar, so those lands, and get back to nation states. And the third I is inspiration. Are we inspiring in an offensive way? Are we inspiring Muslims for liberty and freedom versus letting them be inspired by jihadists? We're not. So the war continues. We need to have an offense, ladies and gentlemen. And I'll keep telling you that until I have my last breath. The next thing is the Muslim Brotherhood. We saw this week, and I was elated, to hear that the Trump administration now was beginning to publicly discuss designating the Muslim Brotherhood a foreign terrorist organization. Now it's complicated. It's complicated to make a group of foreign terrorist organizations, but you can do it the regular way through the old State Department mill. And I remember when I was on the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom from 2012 to 16, when we talked about what was happening in Somalia and the region there, Al Shabaab was playing a, quite a significant role horror in the region and destabilizing it through its militant islamism and we had asked the state department it's a no-brainer to make it the fdo secretary clinton's state department ultimately did but i can tell you they did not make it easy and later once it was done they said oh they were in favor of it all the time there were just some hoops that had to be made through and you realize that that process is bizarre now that process if it begins from the white house at the nsc can be expedited and can be done. And I do think there's no one better to be leading this than Ambassador John Bolton, NSC head John Bolton. And I hope to see this coming through very quickly. Now, we're beginning to hear, we're beginning to hear rumblings from Oh, the folks that are paid and lobbyists of Qatar, of Turkey. The AKP is the Muslim Brotherhood of the Turks. Erdogan's party is the Muslim Brotherhood. So all these allies of Hamas, like the Council on American-Islamic Relations, a progeny of Hamas, as per the Holy Land Foundation documents. Hamas is the Palestinian wing of the Muslim Brotherhood. You see tweets from luminaries like Shadi Hamid at Bo- at Brookings Institute who said no American experts worth anything have said that it's a good thing or wise to call the muslim to make the muslim brotherhood an FTO none excuse me classic islamist and i'm sure many of them are laughing up a storm as they say oh He's not an Islamist. He's a reformer. He's wrote a book on Islamic exceptionalism. And first of all, he's a Qatari tool working at Brookings who has offices and a institute in Qatar. Millions of money shared. And if you don't believe the money trail please find for me where he's taken on political Islam, has wanted to call for an end of the Islamic State, has taken on Yusuf Qardawi, the luminary Islamist, spiritual guide, influencer of most of the Muslim Brotherhood. Tell me where he's taken on Al Jazeera's Islamist ideology, or any of the ideas that require liberalization and modernization that would then put an end to an Islamic State consciousness where Qur'an is the source rather than simply a source of law. He actually named his book Islamic Exceptionalism because he rejects the concept of American exceptionalism, because he rejects the concept that the West has a monopoly on freedom. I, don't, I never said it did. But I do believe any faith, no matter what it is, once you have a state declared under that faith, and call it exceptional, Islamic exceptionalism. America is not about Christian exceptionalism. It's about a country under God. Yes, that under God concept was a post-anti-theocratic movement that was about liberalization and freedom and liberty by Christians who loved God and wanted to reject theocracy. So, yes, in their identity it had Judeo-Christian roots and evolution. But they specifically left out of it identification of their faith. You won't see the word Christian in our Declaration of Independence or in our Constitution. The MB, the Muslim Brotherhood, formed in 1928, catapulted into prominence as a populist Islamist viral movement about trying to put into place an Islamic political party with a platform based in Sharia with a national identity based in Islamic green flag of the state of God incarnate on earth through their government. Now, they'll reject that. They'll say that this is a human government based in Islamic law, but that is where the government becomes God, where people don't have the freedom to reject or accept or speak as they want, that ultimately they have to accept a law that determines what is and what is not blasphemy laws, a law that determines that if you leave the faith, you're an apostate and must be killed, or you must leave it privately and not tell anybody. I talked to the Muslim Brotherhood when we visited Egypt. I have studied them throughout my life, and their legacy groups in America, from the MSA, the Muslim Student Association, to the Islamic Society of North America, Islamic Circle of North America, more Jama'at Islamiya, but basically same Maududi version of Benna's versions of Muslim Brotherhood. All these groups drink from the same trough, which is jihadi supremacism. And the Brookings folks of the Qatari apologists for the Brotherhood, who think that they want to equate, by the way, there is nothing more pro-Muslim than identifying the Brotherhood as a foreign terrorist organization. Why? Because it'll start to platform more normal, more rational, more westernized and modernized Muslims and take away the tribal authority that the Islamics, the Islamist establishment of the Muslim Brotherhood has on our community. Take away their domination, their oxygen, their end will then come by dying on the vine in which funding their organizations globally will then become toxic and prohibited. Platforming their organizations will become like platforming an FTO a foreign terrorist organization, and then you'll have to start to talk to more open, more rational, more feminist, less misogynist, more free, less autocratic, more liberal, less theocratic Muslims. I've given testimony on this to the U.S. Congress, and in that testimony, I highlighted how no moderate organization continues to have a logo that is based on two swords with an Arabic inscription that says, Be prepared to fight for jihad and dying for the way of Allah, of God, is our desire, is our highest aspiration. That is their motto. That is not the motto of a moderate democratic organization. The be prepared part of that circle on their emblem is not the Boy Scouts. Anyone who tries to convince you that the Brotherhood is moderate or can be moderated or has demonstrated moderation and starts giving you examples like Nahda in Tunisia is simply either intentionally lying to you or deceiving you Or completely hook, line, and sinker getting taken to the cleaners by an organization that does hospitals and schools and other things in order to, in a very Stalinist kind of way or authoritarian kind of way, use certain needs that a population has for existence and survival in order to legitimize their own terror and their own supremacism. They're not a modern organization. They don't give others that are not Muslim or that are moderates that reject their Islamism equal rights, equal access to what they control. Now the process of declaring them a foreign terrorist organization, I believe, well, obviously cannot be rolled out globally all immediately, but we will have a realpolitik as the State Department calls it, approach. I would say that to start with, you hit the mothership, just like if you have a cancer patient that has multiple metastases, you go to where the primary tumor is. And where's the primary tumor of the Muslim Brotherhood? It's Egypt. So you declare the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood a terror organization. And that's why as much as I've had heavy, heavy problems with the dictator El sisi President Trump talking about it with El sisi in his Oval Office made sense. El-Sisi is no democrat, is no freedom-oriented leader. And I've never, never endorsed any of the methods he uses to punish or control his society. Having said that, when the Muslim Brotherhood controlled Egypt, it was worse than El-Sisi. It was like comparing the Khomeinists and their Islamic revolution to the Shah. The Shah was a dictator. He was an autocrat, not a liberal democrat. But the Khomeinists are worse from any humanitarian perspective you want to look at. This is not saying that we endorse now bringing back the Shah in Iran. God willing, they'll have a revolution that's successful and will be able to see a rejection of both Autocratic monarchies and theocratic jihadi supremacists. But we just saw our government declare the IRGC, the Iranian Republican Guard Corps, a terror organization. And what was great about that, and we discussed this last week here, right? What was great about that is there was little pushback. And you know why there was little pushback? There is not a major Iranian Khomeinist lobby in the United States that has been setting its roots for 30 years. Why? Because we've had sanctions. With sanctions, they can't push their tentacles into the West. It becomes very difficult. And even with that, there are Iranian apologists that helped the nuclear deal and others get passed. But for the most part, Hezbollah and Iran don't have even a portion of the proportional influence that the sunnis have in the west because the sunnis had free reign to spend billions on their information operation as we bought their gas and they built mosques and islamist organizations now some of that's changed in the past year as the saudis have now declared war on the islamist viral movements that they helped create but this is why the declaration of the muslim brotherhood fto status is going to be a little more difficult There's a lobby with apologists on the left that they get to do their bidding that are non-Muslim, that appear for all the world to be, to the ignorant and uninformed, raising alarms that declaring the Muslim Brotherhood a terror organization is going to somehow take away the rights and freedoms of every Muslim in the United States. Because, oh, we're all Muslim Brotherhood and we have so much to be afraid of. You know what? If you're working with groups that are Hamas apologists and behind-the-scenes... Do the secret handshake and do some Hawala funding to get money into Hamas's and other brotherhood's hands in Syria and Jordan and Yemen. and You know, maybe you should be afraid. And you know what? You've been destroying our community and threatening the stability and security of the United States of America. And, by the way, preventing reform within our faith community. So, just like Al-Manar the television agency for Hezbollah was shut down and its satellite access gone in the West. Wouldn't that be great if Al Jazeera had satellite access that was prevented from transmission into the West? There would be nothing better. For Muslim reform. Then Al-Kardawi, Yusuf Al-Kardawi's Sharia and Life, no longer having access into Western living rooms. By the way, Al-Jazeera America, even though they bought Al Gore's horrifically overpriced tank of a station for half a, what was it, half a billion dollars? They still shut it down three or four years later because nobody watched it but Zombies and the Islamists. So, it fails anyway, but that's still, that failure is still better than most of the non-existent pro-liberty, pro-freedom American Muslim stations that don't exist. (laughs) But, if you start making the Islamist stations toxic... Then those empty vacuums will start to get filled, I believe, because you're going to have to start to have other programming and folks funding and influencing other programming. This will begin. You start in Egypt. The mothership of the Brotherhoods declared a terror state, I'm sorry, terror organization. You then also declare Kuwait, Syrian branch, Yemeni branches, and then you go on from there. And that exercise will begin to define better terror groups that are Sunni, Salafi, Jihadi Islamists. If you ever wonder, don't let anybody tell you the Muslim Brotherhood is a moderate organization. The perfect example is Sheikh Zindani. A Yemeni Sheikh in 2004 was exposed as a bin Laden loyalist. And folks funding him or helping him were arrested and convicted of terror affiliations. But he was also on the board of the Muslim Brotherhood's Union of the Good, which is Qurdawi's leadership arm. So this is a guy who is one example of hundreds of direct connections back and forth between Al-Qaeda and the Muslim Brotherhood, ISIS and the Muslim Brotherhood, even though strategically and regionally they may be at war. Next, Believe it or not, we've been talking this past week and we've seen Sports Illustrated trying to get back slapped and kudos from the woke generation because they had a hijabi by the name of Halima Aiden who was wearing a burkini. Now, she laid on her left side and she was uh, in this bodysuit And just to draw the image for you, it was pretty skin tight. You could see her body shape. And she was wearing the hijab, and they're talking about how she was breaking barriers and such a courageous woman. So what was the courage about? I'm still trying to figure that out because there were two groups that Sports Illustrated supposedly is trying to reach out to. One is the Muslim community. So what's the Muslim read of that? So if you're a rational Muslim woman that believes in hijab and modesty in clothing, you're not going to be picking up the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. You're not going to be trying to figure out how you can have a position, a place in that completely objectified industry. Because even though she was in a burkini of some kind, I don't even know if it classif- classically class- can be classified as such, It's still objectification. So for the rational hijabis, the objectification of a woman for her body shape and her look is something they see as being less than equal. And I think the Me Too generation can understand that. The Me Too movement, I thought that's what that was all about. Now let's talk about it from the Me Too perspective. If you believe in feminist equality, the control of your own bodily autonomy... You're going to put into your magazines a magazine that whose issue is completely about objectification, which doesn't really fit the Me Too principles. It's not necessarily that feminist, but it's still control of her own body. That's fine. We can have that argument as the argument's happening with pageants and other things. But now the hijab and the burkini are are symbols of severe torture of women in countries like Iran and Saudi Arabia. This is not an iconic shift for liberation of the Muslim woman, unless you're trying to say that she's totally oppressed here in the United States. And women in those bikinis are forced to wear them in some of the mosques. Most of the mosques. So it is actually a symbol, even the United States, of oppression. Where even when you have presidents... Heads of state, Justin Trudeau, who goes to a mosque and talks about the sisters upstairs behind the curtain, as if they were this mass of clot of human beings that didn't have a single identity, because he referred to them as the sisters upstairs behind the veil. And this is what Sports Illustrated is trying to fix. I don't care which way you look at it, it's insanity. It is absolutely insanity to think that this is an advance for American Muslim women. I'll remind you, in 2016, on this podcast, I expressed my horror at how underrepresented the Muhammad was in the Olympics. This is a Muslim woman who did not wear her Muslim identity on her sleeve, won a gold in the 400 meter, wore the normal dress for a track runner, shorts, short sleeve, Normal, nobody would have even known she was Muslim had her last name not been Muhammad. And then you have Ishtihab Ibtihaj Muhammad, a fencer, plastered all over Newsweek, Time, and every other media because she had a hijab as the first hijabi American to go to the Olympics. She won a bronze and yet was almost going to be the torchbearer for the entire Olympic team before she had won the bronze. And then there was an outcry like, this is bizarre, Michael Phelps should be the torchbearer. And you know why. But no, the use, exploitation of Muslims for the checkbox of the aggrieved minority, the mechanism of using Muslims to assuage the left of their guilt, by infantilizing Muslims and trying to make them feel better. Doesn't matter, they're still objectifying them. Doesn't matter that they're putting them into theocratic, autocratic dresses. Now, it's not about diversity of thought, it's about diversity of skin color and appearances. Because if she didn't have an hijab and she looked like Delilah Muhammad, then it wouldn't make the point, would it? And then I ask the question, well, if it's about diversity, well, why not have a Sikh individual? Why not have a conservative Jew or a nun? Because then they say, "Well, that doesn't make any sense. (laughs) So why would it make any sense for Muslims? And now you see what I'm talking about. (sighs) Unbelievable. Last, I have to tell you, in the last few days, we've heard that Facebook is now beginning to, in mass, deplatform a lot of what they perceive as radical extremist sites. Do we know what their criteria is? No. Is there transparency? No. Some are justified, like Louis Farrakhan, a bigot by any stretch of the imagination, a racist. And others just have weird ideas. And yet they're being deplatformed. So how do you deplatform somebody? By what criteria are they determining it? And it seems odd to me that many of them appear to be right of center. Not far right, maybe, but right of center. I don't see Antifa in that deplatformed list. Maybe they're there and I missed it. And we just don't see as many on the left extremists being deplatformed. There needs to be, and I'm renewing this call here again, there needs to be an internet, social media, free speech bill of rights. Internet, social media, free speech bill of rights. Where all of us that are online and trying to get our messages out come together and begin to say, you know what? We want highways of communication, of information that are not policed, policed only by the free market. Yes, many will try to exploit it. We can create consumer-oriented companies and others that begin to develop scoring systems, whatever it is, like we do for food, like we do for labeling of restaurants, reviews, whatever it is. We can figure out a free market mechanism. Without, I mean, how does this different differ than telling Uber Eats that if something is offensive to the taste buds, they will deplatform them from their Uber Eats? You might think that's hysterical and that would never happen. Well, yeah, if a restaurant sucks and their food is horrible as long as they haven't been shut down by the health department. Yeah, I believe in health department inspections. But short of that it's all about reviews and free market feedback. No thank you to the socialist screeners for restaurants and no thank you to the lists and deplatforming by these companies that have larger economies at Facebook and Google than many small countries. But we're going to go nowhere fast, ladies and gentlemen. And by the way, these companies are looking to regulation. The first companies, the first people to start asking for government regulation are going to be the heads of major industries so that they can control the access into the market for new people that enter and make the regulations become prohibitive for small startups. I saw that in the healthcare industry, petroleum, pharmaceutical, communications, on and on. So, please spare me the suggestion that Zuckerberg's looking for government to help him. Oh, I'm sure he is. It'll help continue to corner their market. We need a internet social media free speech bill of rights. Well, as always it has been fantastic to be with you. Don't forget to join us. Find me online at Reform This Radio on Twitter reform this radio find the podcast at theblaze.com backslash podcast and share us through soundcloud through itunes tell your friends about this program this is the place you can come to learn not only about the global jihad and the threat but about values that we share as a community looking to keep freedom safe and to keep us growing and more and more ideologically diverse this is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.